This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Former Cavan DJ Billy Butler was the man who introduced the bands on the cellar stage, as well as playing records between the acts. Also a judge on the TV show, Thank Your Lucky Stars, he used to chat with the Beatles backstage at the cavern and they'd ask him about the famous mus- and they'd ask him about the famous musicians he'd met on the programme. Here in Liverpool, he is best known as a local radio presenter, a role he held for nearly five decades. But his stories of the city's music scene in the 60s are fascinating to Beatles fans across the globe. I'm Laura Davis. And I'm Ellen Kerwin, and this is Beatles City. So Billy really needs no introduction here. He is really famous in Merseyside. Yeah, I would say that that for for people living here in Liverpool, Billy Butler is pretty much as famous as the Beatles. He obviously had a very long local radio career um, on Radio City and Radio Merseyside here. Um, for for many years, he was just in people's living rooms talking to them. And um, he's also quite famous with expats um, across the globe. And... For a long time, they used to send off the CDs of the game show that he did on Radio Merseyside, Hold Your Plums. So before his local radio career, he also had um, a stint on TV, isn't that right? Yeah, so he's been on a lot of TV shows over the years, but the way that he got the gig at the cavern was actually because he was a judge on the TV show, Thank Your Lucky Stars, and there used to be bands would come in and, and I think actually mime to their latest hit because in those days they, they couldn't play it live on television. Um, and then he'd be one of the judges giving his verdict on them. And then, um, as you'll hear him say in, in this interview, um, he was actually at a football match and Bob Wooler from the Cavern was comparing and, and he'd said to Billy, do you want to come and have a go as a DJ here? So really, he was the celebrity there. He was the one introducing the acts, but he was the guy off the telly. And the Beatles at that point didn't, you know, were unknown. So for them, he was the famous one. That's quite impressive. So music still to this day, it's really an ongoing passion for him and it's a love affair. He's still very much involved in local music, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, here you really get a feeling that he's well respected by young bands, um, which isn't always the case with sort of veteran broadcasters. But throughout his career, he has he's done a lot to promote local musicians Um Music for him didn't stop with Mersey Beat. You know, he went on to um, run nights at the Mardi Gras um, nightclub here in Liverpool, and um, he's been interested in all sorts of different kinds of music. And in the sort of last days at Radio Mersey, he was still continuing to promote local musicians. So I'm here in the cavern with Billy Butler. You were a DJ here back in the day, weren't you, Billy? Yes, I was, Laura. We're sat right under where the original stage was. Yeah. What's it like for you being in here today? It's it's a bit weird actually being in here. You know, it's it, it, it it's nothing. It's when you go uh, to the replica of the cavern. You know, with, with the tunnels and everything. That's when it feels weird because it's like going back in time and being there. Whereas we're in the cavern lounge now, which of course is an extension. But being in, in where the tunnels are and that. You know, that's a weird feeling, looking at the stage, which is exactly as it was, and thinking about all the bands I introduced there and all the people I used to know here as well, you know. 
And did it feel exciting at the time? Could you tell you were in the middle of something exciting? It, it, it was exciting, so it didn't just feel exciting, it was exciting. But we never thought we were in the middle of something. We knew that the cabin was very successful by the people who were coming and the bands that were coming. And it was great meeting all these... Because it wasn't just local bands, we had lots of bands on. And, of course, we had lots of American big names. And it was a great thrill meeting, meeting them, you know. And it's always been my regrets. I've never been one for having photos taken with anybody. I've never been one for asking for autographs. And I wish it had been. Yeah, imagine <laughs> you know? your collection now. Exactly. So how did you actually begin to DJ here? You were, you were in bands, weren't you, yourself to begin with? Yeah, well, it, it all started off when I was on a television show called Thank You Lucky Stars, uh, which we recorded in Birmingham for transmission the following Saturday, which had all the latest crews performing the hits. And I was one of a panel of three who were on at the beginning of the second half, uh, judging three records and marking them marks out of five. And one of the girls on the panel became very famous for their catchphrase, I'll give it five. You see, so because of being on the telly, uh, I got asked to do, do a couple of songs with a group called um, uh, the, the, the... I forget the name of them, that's that far back. Uh, anyway, I sang a few songs of this band at the um, Cross Keys opposite the stadium. And then Billy Kinsley was a mate of mine from years ago. Uh, Billy said to me, um, do you fancy doing Bootle, Bootle, St John's in Bootle? Because it's our guest night there. We'd like to have you as a mystery singer. So I, so I turns up a special guest at Amazing Beats, mystery singer, you know, with a mask on, you know, and uh, took the mask off, you know, and I've got a picture of it. It was pictured on the front of the Bootle Times, Big Cigar Man Hits Town. Because one of the things I did when I was on the telly, one of the weeks I was on, I pulled a big cigar out and pretended to be Jimmy Savile, you see. So... That, that's, it said in the paper, Big Cigar Man Hits Town. And it's great, it's got me, it's got me on stage at St John's in Bootle and all these girls at the front row all putting their arms up at me and everything, you know. And uh, after that, I did quite a few guest spots with the Mersey Beats, uh, including the cabin, a couple of all-night sessions and that. And then I formed my own band, The Tuxedos, because I knew the Mersey Beats would get nowhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Was I wrong? <laughs> and then I formed my own band, The Tuxedos, and we played all around the area and a couple of times at the cabin as well. And I was playing football for the Maisie Beats 11 and Bob Wool was commentating. And I came off in the second half to let somebody come on. And Bob Wool said to me, listen, Billy, I know nothing about football. Uh, would you commentate on the second half? Which you did. Then after the game, Bob said, uh, young man, he said, young man, you're very familiar with that microphone. He said, uh, how would you like to uh, have a job at the cavern playing the records? I said, yeah, yeah, as long as I can finish my gigs with the band. He said, no bother, come down and do an audition. So I went down and did one of the nights. Uh, we used to play the records from behind the cavern stage. They couldn't see you, but we did it from the little band room. And after that, I got the job as a cavern DJ doing uh, afternoons and evenings, all-night sessions and all-day sessions. So did you have your own records or was there a set um, here? No, the cavern, the cavern had a box with their records in it at the time. But if there's anything new coming out, I'd, I'd go to Nems and get it. Mm-hmm. So what sort of things were you playing? Well, basically, it was, it was, it was so. It was Otis Redding, Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett. A lot of the top hits, of course, because it was still a pop club, the cavern. So we still played top 20 records. But we also played a lot of soul records because we were, we were having a lot of soul acts on at the time. So you obviously you, you introduced the acts as well. Yeah. So what what sort of bands were you introducing there? Well, nearly all the local bands. We used to have a, a, a system where Bob used to Bob used to write the running order out, 
right? And then most nights he'd go to the White Star or the Grapes then. And I, I, I'd do it till Bob come in for the last band. So he'd go off for... Yeah, it was usually half an hour for the band, 10 minutes playing records in between, the next band, 10 minutes, the next band like that, you know. Okay. So it was people like the Escorts, um, the, the Blue Jeans, they were on regular, the Maisie Beats, um, all the local bands, you know. And, of course, on the all-night sessions, some of the big names, like we had Wilson Pickett on, we had Stevie Wonder on, we had the real drifters on, not the ones we're going around now. We had, uh, <laughs> lots, of, we had lots of American soul acts on. Um, and it, it, was, it was really exciting, especially with Houston soul acts, Sunderboy Williamson, Muddy Waters, all the big blues names as well. Yeah, amazing. So can you remember the first time you heard the Beatles play? Yeah, it came down. Billy Kinsey told me to come down, and it came down one day. And um, so I took it. Um, Ail Preston's TTs were on stage, I think. And then the Beatles came on after that. And, uh, you know, you, you, can't, you, you couldn't help but be, this will be 60, 62, and it'll be 62. And you couldn't help but, maybe 61, but you couldn't help but think, these are different. You could tell immediately. Yeah. Well, he messed, a lot, messed about a lot on stage at that time. And I liked that, actually, you know. But once he stopped messing about, and the harmony, I loved the Beatles' harmony. It was all, to me, it was so, so spot on and so, so different than most bands. And of course, John was also f- always fooling about. George was, you know, Paul put up with everything. And Pete Best, of course, was in the drums then when I, when I f- used to see them. And he was an old schoolmate of mine from the Collegiate. We, we, we both went to Collegiate. He never mentioned about being in any bands at the Collegiate <laughs> because he, basically he was famous at the Collegiate for his rugby. He was a great rugby player. So did you get to know the Beatles quite well then? Well, I used to talk to him in the band room uh, because uh, it, it, it was a bit unique at the time. Here was a local lad who was on telly every week. So they used to ask about the people who were on. I did say, what was, what, was, what was Bo Diddley like when he was on? You know, what was so-and-so like, you know? And, uh, you know, it, 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 w- w- did, you, did you talk to him? Did you have a drink with him or anything? You know, because obviously they were interested in, in, in the people who were making their way in the business while they were trying to do it themselves, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So to, to them, you were the star at that yeah. point. And George said to me, hey, Billy, said, uh, are you on next week? I said, yeah, he said, could you mention the Beatles who just say, so the Beatles are Liverpool are a great band. Now, I was with the Maisie Beats at the time. <laughs> I said, oh, can't really do that. Tony Crane would go mad. <laughs> <laughs> So what were they like? And, and then it? I met them on Thank You Lucky Stars because there was two old Merseyside editions of Thank You Lucky Stars when every act on was from Liverpool. And so, of course, I met them there then. And that, that's the famous occasion, which I mentioned when we did the, the documentary for The Cavern. That was the famous occasion when I was one of the Beatles because there was me, Ringo, Paul and John. George wasn't there. This was up in, up, this was on the seventh floor of where we used to record the show at the ATV in Birmingham. And we were right by the window, having something to eat. And down below, there were thousands and thousands of girls, you know. And some, one of the producers said to Paul, stand up and give them a wave. So Paul stood up and waved. Thousands of people downstairs screamed, you know. <laughs> then Ringo did the same. And then John did the same. And Paul said to me, Billy, See, one of us. So I stood up and waved, and thousands of girls screamed. Uh, so I was a beat there for about five seconds. <laughs> and can you go through them and, and tell us what each one was like? Um, well, as I say, Pete, Peter met first, and Pete, Pete was quiet. Pete was always quiet. He was quiet at school, you know. 
Um, George, George was more talkative. Um, Paul was very interested in music. And so was John. John was very interested in American music. You know, that's why they'd ask me about what the stars were like and everything like that, you know. Yeah. But you were just four fellas, you know what I mean? You were just four fellas. They didn't, you couldn't say, oh, he was telling dirty jokes or he was doing that. There were four ordinary fellas just enjoying everything they did. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. It was all about the passion for them, then. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I say, but well, that's why they used to ask me on Lucky Stars, what was so-and-so like? Because, you know, if you're, on, if, if you're in the band room, you've met Gene Vincent's. You know, they used to idolise that. Oh, my Gene Vincent, you know what I mean? Yeah, exciting. So, um, can you describe a bit about what the atmosphere was like in the cavern in those days? Well, I used to come in at around uh, about quarter to seven, and uh, we, all the bands would be coming in by then, and they all used to come downstairs. You know, all in flights of stairs and everything. And we'd usually start about half seven, and it'd just start filling up then. Uh, depending on who was on. I mean, there was a big name on, there'd be massive queues outside, you know. And then the music would start. And that's what it was like. And I'd play the records in the middle, I'd go out and mingle with the crowds, we'd go and have a coffee, go and have a hamburger at the back, you know, chat to the people who were new there. And uh, we'd, go, we'd talk about what they'd say, are the cavern getting this group on? Are the cavern getting that group on? And it was, it was great seeing bands for, going on for the first time and see what the crowd's reaction was. Because... The, 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 the middle aisle was all seats so if there's a really popular band the middle aisle would be full of, of people and if you look at some of the old pictures of the cavern that middle aisle was almost 70% girls you know in those days uh, they never screamed at me but the tuxedos but you know <laughs> I did get the odd round of applause now and then I was remember the occasion when the, 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 there was a lot of publicity at one time when, when the Beatles m mentioned that they loved jelly babies Mm. Right, so of course, when the tour started, every time they did a gig, the stage was showered with jelly babies. Oh, sticky. So I came up with this idea one day when the tuxedos were on. I said to the lads, we'll throw jelly babies at the audience. <laughs> so we all took some jelly babies, you know, and threw them at the audience. You know. <laughs> How did they react? They started throwing things back. Um, not just jelly babies. <laughs> not just jelly babies. <laughs> so music's always been really central to you and to well, your yeah, life yeah. so how did you get involved in music to begin with do you remember listening to it at home and yeah, yeah mainly radio luxembourg oh, okay. there wasn't much on the bbc at the time mainly radio luxembourg and late at night if you tuned very carefully on the radio you could get the american forces network which we could hear the records which weren't out over here because that was that was the big thing having records you know if you've got a record first it's like when, when, when a new record did come out, you get them all going over to NEMS to buy it. Yeah. You know, I remember one of the girls behind the, the store, we talked about that one day, one of the girls used to work there. And she said, I can't remember, she said, when Jerry came in for the record, and I said to her, Paul's just bought that. And he went, mad. Oh, no. You know, because you knew they'd be... Because there was an unwritten code in Liverpool bands. If you went on to do, to do, to do a show after the previous band, you tried not to do any songs they'd done. Yeah. You know? So if you just learned a brand new hit, and they gonna done it, it used to be you'd go mad, you know. So they go and buy it and listen and just learn it by yep, ear. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah, and there was hardly any sheet music available in those days, so you used to have to learn it by playing the record, writing the line down, stopping it, playing the record, writing the line down, and stopping it. That's yeah. why in those days, if you did know the words of a song and you heard another band singing it, you'd think 
there's nothing like that, the words. I think the worst song that all the bands used to do and really make a mess of it was Jambalaya. You know, no, I think, it's, I think it's Jambalaya on a cold fish pie, Billy Gumbo, or something like that. <laughs> but the lines that used to come out from the bands were usually nothing like it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. <laughs> but, but it was very competitive, as I said, you know. They'd all be trying to do stuff other bands weren't doing and do it better. And you, since, since your Cavan days, you obviously went on to the Mardi Gras and you've yeah. always been very interested in Liverpool bands and Liverpool music yeah. and on Radio Mose's side, you were always promoting them, weren't you? Yeah. What do you think it was like for, for bands locally following the Beatles and their huge success? Um, it, it's hard to say because a lot of people resented it. You know, a lot of people resented it because when we had the first Mersey Beat reunion, uh, which Alan Williams arranged... Uh, and we announced the Beatles couldn't make it. They, there was a little booing. They were booing the Beatles, you know. Because you know what they like here in Liverpool? Oh, they've left us now. They're too big for here now and all that. Um, I suppose, I mean, not being a musician myself, it's hard to say, but I suppose the, the, it goes two ways. You can, you can have the Beatles weighing on you like a burden or the Beatles being the band which helped you release your talents and your love of music, you know. It was difficult to say. And we still kept going on. Don't forget when the Beatles... Because they virtually finished, didn't they, in, 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 before 1970. And, you know, we still produced all the Echo and the Bunny Men and we, we still produced bands playing their kind of music. We, we weren't a, a city that, that once the Beatles became big, all the bands were trying to do Beatles songs. No, they didn't. They still were doing what they wanted to do. They, obviously, they threw Beatles numbers in. You had to. But you, you get them doing a song from an album rather than doing the, the hit that was in the charts at the time. Is there something about this place, not, not the cabin so much, but Liverpool, that, that sort of makes good musicians or interesting musicians, do you well, think? Well, probably, well, because of our legacy, I think. We've got a legacy going right back, haven't we, to the 50s. I mean, if you include Arthur Askey, the 40s. We've always done something. Music and comedy has always been here in Liverpool, and it always will. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, in terms of Liverpool mus- musicians now, are they, who, who are we listening to? Well, where do you listen to them? <laughs> <laughs> what, you mean live, going out and listening to them live? Oh, well, I don't get much time to... Well, I, I, don't, I, I don't do that much anymore. But, I mean, I, I, I'll pick and choose. Like, I, go and, I, I like going to see Amsterdam. I like Ian McNabb's work. I like... Um, like some of the bands they have over the road at the Cavern. Sometimes if I'm in town, I go over to the Cavern pub and watch the bands there. And uh, I've been once or twice to Ian's Monday nights where everybody gets up and sings as well. You know, so the talent's still there. Is it ever, do you think it'll ever be as exciting as it was back in the day? Well, it is for the people who are involved in it now. They're finding it exciting, you know. I mean, I think we've got more groups going now than we did in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the, I mean, the, the difficulty that thing I find is, say, say I'm walking down Bowl Street or Duke Street, with all these posters on the wall and with all these festivals, you know, local bands. And you, 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 you think, I don't know any of them. There are so many. Yeah, you can't have listened to them all. You can't listen to them all and you wouldn't know where the, how to get the product anyway unless you're on Spotify or something like that, mm-hmm. you know. And do you think that the Beatles were wrong to leave Liverpool? I don't. Well, you have to go where you have to go where the, the the business is, don't you? Really, it's as simple as that. It was all happening in London, so I don't, I don't think they had a choice. Mm-hmm. And 
were you ever tempted to leave yourself? You've been here. <laughs> You've been <laughs> no, here your whole career. Not at all. Not at all. When I first, around about the um, just before I went to radio, just before, just before I went to Radio City in 1978, when I first moved, uh, Radio One offered me a job. Mm-hmm. You know, as a, as a sweetener. You know, and um, I wasn't interested. I just loved working in Liverpool because I thought if I go on Radio One, I can't mention the mod. I can't mention uh, a group. I can't mention this. I can't mention that. It'd be like wearing handcuffs. Mm. You know, so I, I didn't bother with it. Well, thank you so much, Billy, for coming here and sharing your memories. It's been really interesting. Yeah. You've said nothing about what it's like being a sex symbol or anything like that. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> but the Mardi Gras was a very interesting part of our career because yeah. um, I used to... The Mardi Gras used to do doubles with the downbeats or the Victoriana. So we'd have, we'd have the big American act on at, say, nine o'clock at the Victoriana. Mm-hmm. And I'd introduce them. I still work at the cavern at the time of, of a night of a weekend. And then I'd take them over to the Mardi Gras, where they performed there. And uh, that was a very interesting period. And then we took over the Mardi Gras, the, the owner of the Mardi Gras. We bought the lease off him. Mm-hmm. We, we thought we were going to get it for a long time, but it, it turned out we only got it for two and a half years when he decided to knock it down, which he did about 50 years later, you know. And soul music was on the way, and, I, and you, we were doing soul music all the while, all the big soul names. But we could tell by our attendance it wasn't working. So we had with Al Green on when he was number one, and we only got 300 people in. Gosh. So I thought, we're up against it here. Now, at that time, downstairs at the cavern, I started playing progressive music and heavy music, you know, but your Jethro Tulls and people like that, your Right mm. Heap and all that. And it was going well. So we decided to change the Mardi from a soul club into a prog rock club. And we painted all the inside white. We got projectors installed on the balcony. And we got a screen above the stage, which showed Donald Duck and the Three Stooges and stuff like that. And we started putting people like the Pink Fairies on, Van de Graaff Generator, all of them. And it really, really worked. And we were doing great. And then we got the demolition order and we had to get out. And we tried to by the Hippodrome in West Derby Road because that was a very big place mm. and uh, there was room in that for rich, some of the big names were charging really big money then but had the capacity to pay them Yeah. but every time we applied for a drink because Whitbread said they'd said they back us but every time we tried to apply for a drinks licence the Locarno and, and the Grafton objected to it Oh yeah. so we could never do it but it was, it was at the Mardi Gras when I was first asked to join Radio Merseyside so it was good that way as well yeah, I suppose it's it's what you were saying earlier about Liverpool music not standing still. So you yeah. you evolved as the music exactly. scene evolved. Exactly. Yeah, great. Thank you very much. My pleasure. <laughs>